Welcome to the online ministry of Pacific Beach United Methodist Church, located in beautiful San Diego, California. Pacific Beach UMC is a member of the Reconciling Ministries Network and welcomes persons of all ages and backgrounds for worship, study, and service opportunities. More information can be found on our website at pbumc.org. May you be enriched by the hearing of these words, and may you receive and enjoy God's blessing. scripture is Luke chapter 12 verses 13 to 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, friend, who set me to be a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, What should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and then I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. Thank you, Susie. Have I ever told you that my first career was with McDonald's? <laughs> Is this news to you? For two years in high school, I put on my stretchy maroon polyester outfit several times a week and reported to work at McSnack, a mini McDonald's that used to be on Prospect. It's not there anymore. Does anybody remember it? Yeah, Jim remembers it. Now, that was a few years before the supersize option officially came into existence for fries and soda, but that didn't stop us from trying to supersize a meal. In fact, it was a requirement that we as McDonald's workers make every effort to do so. If someone ordered a cheeseburger, I was required to ask, Would you like fries with that? You've been asked that before. That's the strategy of fast food companies, to get you to buy more. You've only purchased 2,000 calories worth of food so far. How about a fried pie to go with that? In the late 80s, the supersize option became an official one. Don't just want a large container of fries. You can get a bigger one. All you had to do was say the word supersize, and usually it worked out to be cheaper or better or part of some deal, and even if you think you didn't want it in the first place, you usually ended up getting more french fries than one human being should eat and a giant bucket of soda. We as human beings are reluctant to pass up an opportunity to supersize. And that's understandable. That's a sentiment in our culture that bigger is usually better. If you have a little bit of something good, why not get some more? 
And one of the things I appreciate about our passage from Luke this morning is that it suggests that we're not alone. Other people in other times and places have suffered from this particular condition as well. So Jesus was approached by a man who wanted him to get involved in a dispute over a family inheritance, and he told the parable that's before us today. And as we take a closer look at the man in the text, it becomes apparent that he didn't find himself front and center in this parable because he was bad, per se. He, he wasn't described as having acquired his wealth through any dishonest measures. There's no indication that he used his wealth to harm or oppress others. No, he wasn't bad. He was simply described as foolish. He was successful and acquired more than he knew what to do with. So he decided to tear down his barns and build bigger ones to store all of his grain so that he could relax, eat, drink, be merry, with nary a concern in the world for anyone or anything. In the parable, God calls him a fool because the man's life was soon to end and none of the treasure he stored up for himself would be of any use to him. In addition, he was called foolish because he missed the opportunity to be what the scripture calls rich toward God. And not only does the man indeed seem foolish, but the whole situation strikes me as just kind of sad, really, You might have noticed that there's no real dialogue in this parable at all. The man seems insulated in his own little world as he talks to himself about himself, about his own grain, his own possessions, his own plans for his future. It's as if his growing wealth in some ways made his world smaller and smaller which strikes me as not only foolish, but also fairly sad. Now, before we go on, I want to acknowledge that this passage admittedly opens up some touchy subjects. One of the preachers I like to read, Debbie Thomas, talks about how we church folks are pretty comfortable talking about spiritual things like faith and hope and love But when you start talking about my money or my stuff on a Sunday morning, well, that's just moving toward meddling. (laughs) And I'll confess, this passage and others like it do make me a little uncomfortable because I have a lot of stuff. Maybe not as much stuff as some people, but in the big scheme of things, it's a lot of stuff. In comparison to many people in the world, it's an outrageous amount of stuff. Many years ago, I attended a clergy women's retreat where the guest speaker was Sister Hobday, who shared a theology about stuff that I will never forget. She was a Seneca elder and a Catholic sister of the Franciscan order. She wrote several books, but the one featured at the retreat was called Simple Living. 
And that was her spiritual practice, simple living. For example, she only owned two dresses at any given time. They were both flowered dresses because she liked flowered dresses. She loved books, and that, she confessed, was her greatest temptation. She allowed herself to keep 36 books at any one time. If someone gave her a new one, she'd read it and either give it away or keep it and give away another of the books. She received gifts with the full intention of enjoying them for a while and then passing them along to someone else when it became clear that they needed it or might enjoy it more than she did. She lived this way, she said, in part to be in solidarity with the poor. She didn't want to live anywhere a poor person might feel uncomfortable coming in, sitting down, making themselves at home. But she also lived this way because she recognized it as what she called a path to freedom. She says in her book, I want to tell you from years of experience that you can expect from simplicity a freedom of spirit you can hardly believe. There's a weight, she says, in having to dust and look after and count and care for and keep in place and store and ensure so many things. And every time I read or hear that sentence from her book, it strikes me right as so darn true. Because dealing with all of our stuff can be a lot of work. That seems spot on in terms of the rich man in the parable, too. All of that grain was a sign of his success and wealth, but it became a burden in a way, too. He had to tear down his barns and build bigger ones. He had to watch his stuff, to manage it, to protect it. No wonder he didn't have time or energy for God or much of anything or anyone else. And the other deeply meaningful piece lifted up by Hobday is not only does all of our stuff have the potential to become a burden to us, but it also doesn't, in the long run, meet our deepest needs. Oh, sure, it might help for a little while. New shoes can brighten my day for a bit. But ultimately, we human beings want and yearn for so much more. Hobday says, it's not strange that our culture promotes wanting so much. That's what the spirit yearns for too, more. We love abundance. The question is more of what? More things, more stuff, more clutter, more junk? Of course not. The spirit, our spirit, yearns for more quality, she concludes. Quality of what, we might ask? Quality of life, quality of relationships with God, with others, with the earth, with the world around us. It's human nature to want more Hobday reminds us, 
but the more we reach for is oftentimes not the more that will ultimately satisfy us. And again, I imagine that rings true, at least on some level, for most of us. Because we have all reached for things in life, for more of something, and found that it hasn't brought us true satisfaction. And it seems as if one way to move toward a life that contains more of what the Spirit truly yearns for is to take a step away from those perspectives or practices that have provided less than what we've hoped for or needed. For example, the man in the parable clung to the perspective and belief that money is for security, a perspective that most of us, I assume, share. The purpose of our money is to ensure our security along with that of our families. And there is truth in that. There is nothing wrong with financial planning and preparing well for our future needs. But the man in the parable had barnfuls of grain and still reached for more in a way that ultimately brought him to a place of having less, less quality, less connection, less security, less of what his soul longed for and needed. A few weeks back, we looked at the parable of the dishonest manager, and we asked the question, what if money is for more than just security? I have to wonder, would considering that question made a difference for the man in our parable today? What would happen for any of us if we reframe that generally accepted notion and instead say money is for love, money is a vehicle for sharing love. If you've received any of the church's information on stewardship, you'll recognize that it's a notion we're lifting up this year as we prepare for our upcoming year of ministry. And if you're not familiar with church stewardship campaigns, it's a season, usually in the fall, when we are invited to prayerfully consider what we have received from God and what and how we choose to give back. We fill out estimate of giving cards with our best intentions for what we plan and hope to give to the church in the coming year. Now, if you are a guest or a visitor this morning, please know that this assignment is not for you. We are just happy that you are here. But if you are a member or a friend of the church, if you consider this your church family or your spiritual home, I encourage you to think about participating in this. And in saying that, I want to acknowledge that all of us are in different situations. All of us have different experiences related to giving and different types of resources out of which to give. 
One person's giving will not look like another's. Some of us don't have a lot of time or capacity to participate in some of the ministries of the church, but we do have the financial resources out of which we can share. Others of us are limited in our financial resources, but we have time and talents in abundance to share. Some of us are seasoned and regular givers to the church. It's the first check we write each month. And others of us have never even considered the possibility of giving to the church. We're all at different places, but we're all invited to live into this aspect of our stewardship, knowing that what we have, our time, our talents, our resources, are not ours to simply gather and guard what we have Our time, our talents, our resources are ours to give in service to God and the love of God as it seeks to touch, mend, heal, transform people and places near and far. I want to take a moment to be totally upfront about how and what I, as your pastor, give. It's been important to me for many years to make a financial commitment to the church and to give regularly to its ministries. I will confess to you that I had a few fails in my early days of giving to the church. I overestimated what I could give. I got behind in what I said I'd give, and then I just gave up and stopped giving altogether. When I started over, I decided to start small, giving just a few dollars a week to make sure that I could meet the commitment, and then each year stepped up my giving just a little bit by little bit. And I'll tell you that I am still on that path. I am still on that journey. I'm at a place where I give more than 10% of my take-home pay, but a little less than 10% of my gross pay. I hope to someday give 10% of the value of my total pay, which includes the value of the housing I receive by living in the parsonage. So this year, I'll step up my giving to this congregation as I seek to live into my goal year by year. Why do I do it? Because I believe that by the grace of God, What we do here, what happens through this place, makes a holy difference for us, for our community, and for the world. I believe churches, unlike any other gathering, group, club, or institution that you can find around, I believe that the sharing of our resources when blessed by God not only meets the truest and deepest needs of the world, the need for quality of life, for peace, for justice, for mercy, for hope, but it meets our truest and deepest needs as well as we participate through our giving in God's redeeming work in the world. We are human beings, so we want more, but not more stuff or french fries or soda pop. We want more. 
We want more that is life-giving. We want that for ourselves, our families, our children, but we want that for people and places everywhere, for all God's children. May we be generous and wise in the use of our resources, and may we know the joy of seeking more of that which truly satisfies the soul. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Loving and gracious God, we come together in this time of worship with a spirit of gratitude, mindful of your goodness and grace that surrounds us always. You rejoice with us in seasons of ease and abundance, and you companion us in our times of deepest need. You invite and guide and encourage us down paths of peace and justice, and you use us, our gifts, our personalities, our quirks, even our struggles and our wounds, to bring light and kindness into your world. You call forth the best in us, and you undergird us with hope and the knowledge that all things are well because we are yours. We pray today for all those who are in need, in body or heart or mind or spirit. There are many known to us, and we speak their names silently in our hearts as we ask you to surround them with an extra measure of your gentle and compassionate care. There are others near and far unknown to us, but deeply known to you, who find themselves in circumstances of poverty, violence, fear, isolation, discouragement, and other need. Shine upon them with the light of your love and bring them through you, through us, the healing and help and hope for which they long. We pray, O oh God, that you would give us wisdom and guidance in the way we manage all of the resources that have been entrusted to our care. Help us to take care of who and what needs our care. Forgive us when gathering and guarding become our only gear. Turn us, our hands, our hearts, outward, that through generosity and service, we may be a part of your life-giving work in the world. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.